0: Let's pray, and we will dig into Matthew chapter 26 in verse 30 on chapter 26. So turn there. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we have together. And God, I do thank you, Lord, that we get to be your church, Lord, that we get to um, come here to uh, learn more about you, God, to engage in just worshiping you and giving you the praise that you are due, Father, that in all these ways, Lord, we just get to pour out praise and worship to you. Lord, we know that coming to your word is praise and worship. God, we get to submit and, and, and learn from you. And God, you show us. You're so faithful. Lord, your word is alive. It's, it's a double-edged sword, God. It, it cuts, Lord God. It's like a scalpel. It just gets in there and cuts down, Lord, and gets that infection out of us, God, slowly. And so, Lord, today I pray, Father, for all of us, Lord, would you show us the things that you have for us to hear? God, would you speak your truth into our lives, Lord God, in a special way. Father, would you, God, get me out of the way, Lord? We wanna hear from you. We're not here to hear from silly old me, God. God, we want you to speak. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. I ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you cut open our hearts? Would you do the work that only you can do? Would you prepare the soil of our hearts to receive uh, from you today? God, have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So you guys remember last week, we were at the Last Supper and we looked at, we took some time to try to look at and as much as we could get our head around what it looked like to be the disciples in that room. And we talked about the fact that like, there was a lot of emotion in that room, right? I mean, that makes sense. You have this word that came down from Jesus before they went into the Last Supper that said in verse 2 of chapter 26, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And here we are celebrating the Passover meal, celebrating the Last Supper with them and their, and their Savior, right? With the Messiah. And they're there together. And they, they knew that the unknown was kind of looming at every step. They, they knew that Jesus had just said, like, I'm going to die And he wasn't just saying, I'm gonna die and rise again like he had been all throughout the scriptures where they were just like, whatever, Jesus. No, he like put a timestamp on it, right? He's like, I'm gonna die this week. I'm dying during Passover. And we know that literally he's going to die that same night we talked about, remember? This is Thursday night when the last supper took place, but their Thursday night in the Jewish mindset is a Friday morning, right? Let that bake your noodle. But that's what they do. And so that whole Friday is spent after the Last Supper in agony, right? Dealing with stuff in in, in Jesus' heart and then going through pain after pain and then being crucified for us. And so you guys, here we know that that's where they were. And then remember while they were there and they're enjoying a supper together and they're there and they're celebrating and they're having this intimate time, that's when Jesus drops the next bombshell. Hey, guys, one of you here, you're going to betray me. One of you guys is going to betray me. And remember, they're all heartbroken. They're like, why is it me? What's going to happen here? What's going on? And we look, we know Judas knew. We know that Judas knew. And Judas was not willing to take off his plastic parts. He just kept wearing his plastic face. He just kept it all on. And how do we know that? Because they went through, they asked all these people. And then he says to Jesus, is it me? And it's like the most ridiculously disgusting thing if you think about it. It's like a slap in the face to Jesus. Like, is it me? Jesus, you know it's me. I know it's me, but I'm too cowardly to admit it. If I were Jesus, I'd be like, ha ha, wham! But Jesus is cool and Jesus is nice and Jesus isn't me, thank God, right? Because what did Jesus do? The whole way through the last supper, Jesus kept giving opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for Judas to just come clean to repent. And we talked about all that last week. Why? Right? Because doesn't it seem like if you read the last supper, like Jesus was being so coy the whole way through, like, well, it's the person that I'm dipping bread with. Well, you've been dipping bread with all of us. So what does that mean? Right? Like that's, so Jesus was doing that. I think literally to give Judas an opportunity and Judas just would not take it. He would not take it. So we're going to be picking up, here they are, around the table together. According to Matthew's gospel, at this point in the history of it all, Judas is left. You guys remember that? Judas is already out of the scene. We're going to look at the fact that before that happened, Jesus washed their feet. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But let's read verse 30 here to get us going. In chapter 26 of Matthew, it says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's all the further we're making it. You guys, Jesus had finished spending time with the disciples in this intimate meal. He had washed their feet. And this we learn in John 13, 1 through 16. So this washing of the feet that Jesus did, you guys, he did it to all 12 disciples. We're told by John there that after that is when Judas left. So there's this like extra little piece that Matthew just didn't add for some reason. Like he just didn't see fit to add it in. But John tells us that, yeah, man, they, he washed their feet. And that was the lowliest of things. So I want us to get our hand around, get back into their sandals for a minute. They've had this intimate meal. They know Jesus is gonna die. He's told him he's gonna die. He drops a bombshell that one of them is, gonna, is going to betray him. So they're there, they're trying to deal with all this stuff and yet in, at the same time, take in this moment and enjoy it, Right? There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. They were not having their phone up and saying, Jesus, let me get one more selfie with you. Right? No, they were in the moment. They were like, hey, Jesus, what's going to happen? Like, what's going on? Is it me? Am I going to be the one that betrays you? How's all this going to work out? They're in that moment. And then Jesus goes and puts on a robe, like puts on a sash, right? And he sits down and he starts washing their feet. And you guys, that had depth and intimacy to it. Has anyone ever taken part in a foot washing ceremony? It is intimate. I don't know that you can get through it without crying. Why? Because it's humbling both ways. It's humbling to wash someone's feet. And I want you guys to understand our feet are clean. What were their feet like? What amount of dung had they walked through? How much dirt did they have way up? you know, onto their shins from just walking through dirt miles and miles and miles. So cleaning the feet was like the job of the lowest servant. It was the job nobody wanted because it was gross. And here's Jesus putting on a sash and washing their feet to teach them something. He's saying to them, hey guys, if you want to be like me, this is what you got to do. You got to serve. You got to do the lowliest thing. You've got to serve in the lowliest place because when you do that, you're the most like me. That's a lesson we could all learn, huh? That is the situation that we find themselves in here when we get to verse 30. Having spent a meal, having had these bombs dropped on them, having, being in a place where they're like, okay, Jesus just washed our feet. Like what is happening to us right now? This is crazy. And then it says, they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. And I, I need to say, something here today that I, I, I am not trying to belabor this point too much, but I really felt strongly that the Lord wanted me to say it, you guys, and that is this. I want to stop for a moment and look at the fact that they sang a song together. The disciples spent this most intimate time and then they sang together. They didn't have big loud speakers like we do to drown out all their bad notes They didn't really even care how they sounded, I would imagine. They just sang. And I need us to think about this because guess what? They They were there pouring out praise to God in the midst of God in the flesh sitting right there with them. Like they're out there just pouring out praise, putting out whatever they could, just singing out praise with God in the flesh, sitting there with them and doing that. And guess what, guys? If you're here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, when we get to heaven, guess what? We get to do that. We get to pour out praise to God with God in the flesh in our midst. Jesus will be there with us. We will be giving him praise. And the most sad thing to me is this. Do you know why we have big loud speakers? I'll tell you why. Because people don't like to hear themselves sing. And I'm with you. I don't like to hear me sing either. And I promise you, you don't like to hear me sing. And that's why we have big loudspeakers. We have big loudspeakers that people say, Pastor, why do you keep it up so loud? So that you don't hear yourself. Why? So that you can worship your face off. So that you can sing to God and not be worried about all that stuff. And the reality is, you guys, and yes, I'm calling out the men here because it tends to be more men than women. Here's what I see. See, as a drummer, I get to sit back there a lot of times. And guess what I get to do? I get to watch all 'all. (laughs) y'all. And a lot of times, yeah, I'm in my own mode and I've got my eyes closed and I'm worshiping the Lord. But when I open my eyes, do you know what's? It's almost like the enemy loves to do this. Seriously, and I'm saying this for the whole worship team because it's true. The enemy loves to do this. The enemy loves for you to open your eyes and find that one man that's sitting there like this. Is it uncomfortable? Try being up there and watching that. Why is that uncomfortable? Because you're missing out. You're missing out. And you know why you're missing out? I'm just calling it like it is. You're too proud to open your mouth and sing. Get over yourself, men. Lead your home well, men. Sing. It sounds ridiculous. And you might be like, oh, you're being ridiculous. Can I say something? They didn't care how they sounded. They sang a song of praise to God. And the reality is there is something powerful about that. There's a reason that there's an entire book of the Bible that is nothing but songs. And I think it's because there's power in singing. And I don't get it. And I'm not trying to make more out of it than there is. But I'm also not going to minimize it. There is power in singing a song together. There is. Why? Because most of us really stink at singing. Don't we? There's a reason the worship team's small. There's a reason that the rest of us make a joyful noise. There's a reason I sit behind a drum set. (laughs) Listen, you see that mic that's up there? I was in another church, and they had the mic, overhead mic on, and and I wasn't playing at a part, and I was singing, and we had in-ear monitors. It was like a fancier church a little bit. And so we had these in-ear monitors that the guy in the back could talk to me. And so I'm on there, and I'm, man, I'm just blasting. I'm just singing for all I got, man. I'm giving God praise, and I hear in my ear, shut up, dude, we can hear you. The sound guy. <laughs> the reality is, man, I would rather hear a bunch of people singing off key at the top of their lungs than to see a bunch of people doing this yeah. and missing out. Yeah. And so my challenge to you guys, man, like step out of your comfort zone. If you're here today and you don't sing at all, and there are guys here that don't, sing. You don't have to sing loud. Just open your mouth. Sing. I think there's work to be done, you guys. I think worship is work. You guys, the Passover meal was always ended with singing. It still is, right? They sing part of, like half of the Hallel Psalms. And so these Hallel Psalms are Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. I would encourage you guys to go read them. It's amazing. They're called the Hallel. Do you know what the Hallel means? Hallel is... The word, it means praise. It's the root word for hallelujah, right? Hallel. The hallel are the songs of praise. It literally means the praise. Those set of songs are the praise songs. They're not the only ones, but they're just known as that because they're looking at different aspects of God and just praising him for who he is. And here's the thing. Every Passover, even to this day, the Jews still sing Psalm 116 through Psalm 118. Those are the three songs that they tend to sing or that they do sing during or at the end of Passover. And I want us to read just for a moment, if you guys would turn with me to Psalm 118. The reality is, you guys, is there is power in singing. There's power in not just singing, but singing out the words, like listening to what you're singing, not just saying words, right? Listen to the words. Think about the words. Put those words in your mouth and sing them to God, right? Right? Psalm 118, I want us to read, I'm going to read this to us. And I I want you guys to put yourself in the place of Christ for just a moment, as much as we can, as much as we can. Think about how much this would have ministered to Jesus, knowing what he knew was coming next, knowing where he was just getting ready to head, knowing what the rest of that day was going to look like for him. Let's read this. Psalm 118, verse one says this, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees, they were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing in salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does violently, you guys know the right hand is the hand of power, right? The power of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. You guys know these next verses. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send me now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. You guys, what does all this mean to us? What do you think this meant to Jesus? To know that he was the stone that the builder rejected. To just read that and say, this was the Lord's doing. Like he knew God had a plan. He knew it all along. He knew it from before he was put on this earth. Do you understand? He is God. He knew the plan. What does all this mean to us? Well, here's my thing that I want us to kind of hear and do with it whatever the Lord tells you to do with it. I, my encouragement to you guys, my encouragement for us as a church is this, not to miss out on the intimacy afforded to each person each and every day to come to Jesus and sing off key. Don't miss out on that. To come into a special and intimate place of sitting at the feet of God, singing to him. I'm gonna say it one more time. Get over yourself. Open your mouth. You guys, there are people in this church, I love them, but I'm just being honest, they've said to me like, oh yeah, I don't come to the worship time. I, I stay out until the, the time to, for the word because the words, you know, I, I don't really need the whole worship thing. And I, I got to say something. I think you're robbing yourself of a major portion. Mm-hmm. If you're here and you're like, oh man, I come in late every week <laughs> all the time. And it doesn't really matter. Like as long as I get the last song. No, man, you're robbing yourself. You're missing out. You're missing out if that's your MO, if that's how you do things. Why? Because singing praise is doing work. Do you understand that? It's the same type of work that I always tell the church all the time. Listen, come up here and get prayer. Why? Not because it's something special. Not because there's something magical happening. Because there's work in coming together and doing what God said, which is, you know, confess your sins one to another. Be real with one another. Take off the plastic Ken and Barbie pieces and be who you are with someone else. Be real. Be real there's work there. It requires work. And most of the work, you guys, is just killing your pride enough to stand up and get up here, isn't it? In praise, it's the same thing, you guys. Singing praise to God is work. And here's why. You got to kill your own pride enough to say, I don't care how I sound. That's not the point, God. You deserve all of me. And that means my voice too. And so you sing out a praise song and there's work there. You know, another thing that I think happens, at least in my own life, and this is what I'm speaking about. You know what happens when I give God praise is that A, it kills my pride. It has to, because I really am not a good singer. It kills my pride every week, you guys. You know what else it does? It's the space that I have where the Holy Spirit gets me to God's feet. And that doesn't happen quickly a lot of times because I don't know, man. You guys, listen. I'm thinking about a million other things other than just sitting at God's feet on a Sunday, right? I'm just being real, like it's a work day. I, that's what I'm doing. And so it takes work. I got to be intentional about just pressing in. And I think it's for all of us, you guys, because before I was a pastor, guess what? It still took work to come in on a Sunday when my kids were acting a fool and my wife and I were arguing. We never argue. Yes, we do. Right. And all this stuff and all this garbage is happening around me. And I'm like, ah, and I have to just come in and soften my heart before the Lord and be like, God, would you fix this? And he's like, yeah, let me start with you there, buddy. And then I get to walk that out. And I get to repent of the things I need to repent of. And I get to walk out the fact that, yes, in front of Almighty God, sitting at Almighty God's feet, giving him praise, I realize just how tiny and how imperfect that I am. And that is work. And there's such a blessing in that work because guess what? You get to come out of praise and worship if you've done that work. And if you're willing to open your mouth instead of doing this, You get to come out of it with a heart that says, God, my heart is ready. Mm -hmm. You plowed the soil. It's ready to hear your word. And I think that's one of the things that happens is a lot of people miss out. And they're like, eh, God's word is meh, meh, meh. A lot of that comes because you're not willing to kill your pride and and worship God. Now, I'm not drawing an exact correlation. Can God blow your mind through his word without any of that? Of course he can. But man, I, I think he desires for us to open our own hearts up first. Right There's a will part there that we have to kill in ourselves. We have to give over to God and say, here, even this, God, even my horrible voice that, by the way, Lord, you gave me, here it is. It's yours. Mm -hmm. And in that, you guys, in that work, God does something special, and I don't want us to miss out on it. So yes, I'm going to say it one more time. Get over yourself. Kill your pride. If you're one of those people here that never opened your mouth, open your mouth. Sing a song. Sing a song. If you're here today and you feel like the Lord has been pushing on you to raise your hand, not that that means anything, and you're like, <laughs> man, would you just like step out of your comfort zone and whatever God's telling you? I'm not telling you to go up here and do, as a matter of fact, if you did come up here and do cartwheels, I'd probably be like, do it in the back. But the point is, can we just like say, God, like here, here I am, here's all of me. Because I think it was a beautiful thing that they got to sing a song and I can't imagine any of the 11 being there and, 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 and then getting to the end of it and being like, man, I missed out because I'm like, I'm not gonna sing. No, I think they were all just singing, praising God, amen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Verse 31. I told you I wasn't gonna belabor it. I'll let you decide. Verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd.'" and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus keeps dropping more bombs, man. Here's the 11 disciples, and they're like, okay, we did all this. We just sang some songs. That was nice. And they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. And they're on their way there. And then he's like, hey, guys, by the way, tonight, all of you, after this betrayal thing happens, you're all gonna leave me. And they're like, what? What? right? They're just blown away. And so he tells them, you're going to fulfill prophecy, you guys. That's, that's what he's telling them. Zechariah thirteen seven is what we're reading here when it says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Do you think God knew? Do you think Jesus knew that this was going to happen? Absolutely. There was no doubt in his mind. He knew it. And so he told him straight up front, like, listen, guys, I love you. I'm just pouring out grace on you right now. I know this is going to happen. I'll see you in Galilee. I'll see you in Galilee. What a blessing. What an amazing thing that he does, you guys, because he's saying, hey, I know you're gonna scatter, but I'm telling you now, the final result is not my death. The final result is that I will see you in Galilee. I'm gonna see you later. Like, it's okay. And of course, you know what they heard. They heard the negative. And what did they do with that negative? wait a minute. He says, we're going to scatter. Are you serious right now? So yeah, let's keep reading. Verse 33. We're going to see what they say to that. Peter answered, (laughs) Peter, and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the other disciples were like, Yeah, us too. We're yum. So Jesus, you guys, he shares this, this prophecy. Obviously, God's gonna fulfill his prophecy, right? If it wasn't fulfilled, then he, that prophet, Zechariah, would be a liar and then he should have been stoned, right? But no, here it is, it's being fulfilled. All of them are gonna scatter, and Peter is so arrogant. <laughs> So proud. Oh, Lord, Peter. Are you guys glad Peter's in the Bible? I am super glad Peter's in the Bible because that's me. Right? And so here's Peter. He has something to say about it. He's like, listen, I know it's a prophecy and all. And I know you say this, Jesus. And it's probably true of these other guys, but not this guy. I'm your ride or die. I'm not leaving you. I'm with you. Right? I'm like, wow, riding it to the end, even if it means my death. Pretty bold words. And then what did Jesus say? Well, he deflated Peter's head again, like he liked to do. He's like, I know you think... You're my ride or die. I know you think that you're actually going to be with me till the end, but the reality is on this very night, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster even crows, which means before the morning time. Like we're not even through this night, Peter, and you're already going to totally deny. It. And we're going to read this in a little bit, but I'll just give you a little clue, you guys. Not, I mean, he did, Peter does everything in epic fashion, right? He gets out of the boat. He does, you know, does all this amazing stuff. But the reality is, you know what he did? He cussed out a little kid. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. In the Greek, the way it's worded, he literally cursed out a kid. I mean, that and that's just one of the three. If he does things, he does it big. I mean, you got to give Peter that. But I'm thankful for Peter. I'm thankful for my proud and arrogant friend. Do you know why? Because I'm a lot like Peter, and I think we all are sometimes, aren't we? Our words are so big. Our words have such... Proud kind of overtones in it. And and I think maybe even deep, deep down, we actually think we really mean it. But the reality is, what happens after Jesus tells him, like, dude, like, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. What does Peter do? He doesn't come to the Messiah, the guy that he actually thought was the boss, the guy that he was like, yeah, you're my, my teacher for three and a half years. I actually think you're the Savior. I think you're the guy that's coming to set it all up. I think you're my king. I think all those things. And so, yeah, okay, Jesus, I get it. I don't, I don't want to believe it. I wish it wasn't true of me. But okay, I submit to that. No, that's not Peter. What did Peter do? He doubled down. He doubled down. Look, I know you said all that, Jesus, but no, I'm going to go die with you. Oh, what the heck. You guys, I need us to hear something. Do you know that Peter and Judas were a lot alike? A lot alike. Both proud, both arrogant, both sometimes unwilling and not wanting to listen to what Jesus was telling them. Do you know what the difference between Judas and Peter was? Judas never repented, and Peter did. That's the only difference. And so like I said last week, I think a lot of times we're a lot like Judas. we try to put Jesus in our little box. We try to push him our direction. And here's what Peter's doing. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you. And I think he meant that sincerely. But even when Jesus is like, no, you're not going to be. And, and it's okay. I'm just trying to give you a heads up right now. Like, it's okay. My grace is sufficient for that too. Even then, he's like, no. <laughs> you're wrong, Jesus. And I think there's a big warning in here for us that I want us to hear. Don't rely on your own strength. Walk in a heart of humility. And can I tell you something? And I, I really believe this, you guys. We need God's strength in our life. And that's what we're all praying for, Christian, right? Do you know how that doesn't come? It will never come if you're walking around in your own pride. And a lot of us, especially here in America, are very prone to that, aren't we? thinking we've got it figured out. No, God, I don't need to come and pray with you about this. And no, I don't want to hear it right now because I've got this plan figured out. And we've got to get beat down and beat down and beat down and beat down and deny and deny and deny and wait until we hear a rooster crowing to get to a point where we're like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Why did I go this path? Why have I done these things? And guys, man, can we just own our own weakness for a second? Can we own it? Can we just stop for a second and realize that you're not the best? You are not all that and a bag of chips in every part of your life. You're not. And if you're here today and you're like, well, pastor, I think you're wrong. Well, you're wrong. Thanks. We can't be good at everything. Listen, sometimes, and I'm just being real, the way the world lives their lives, you guys, I've Man, we had guys in the military sometimes that would show up, and they'd be like, oh, I'm amazing at this. And, da, 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 da. and you're like, oh, wow, cool, man. Like, what, what experience do you have in this? None. What have you done? Oh, I've never done it, but I, I know I'm amazing. I'm really good at, like, pretty much anything I do. And, and you see them do it, and you're like, no, no, you're not. Like, own your weakness. Yeah. As a drummer, you guys, there are a million people that have said to me, I'm a drummer. I can play the drums. And you're like, oh, really? Like, you played a lot? Like, well, no. But, I mean, all you do is really, you just hit them. All you do is hit stuff. And I'm like, okay, if you think it's that easy. And I sit them down and let them get embarrassed for a second. When they're like, how do you, what's, what the? And then I'm like, rub your head, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, but here's the deal. Guess what else? I said this in first service. I'll say it again. Being on a worship team is not for everybody because not everyone, God hasn't gifted everyone in that way. But even on that token, right, you've got to stay in your own lane on a worship team. I'm a drummer. That's not that great. There's the guy that was up there before Jake way better than me. Seriously has a degree in it. He actually knows what he's doing on it. I'm learning a ton from him. I'm so thankful for him being here so I can learn and grow and humble myself. Right. And realize that I don't know what I don't know. And there's other people that are doing that. But the reality is you guys, you don't want me to go over and pick up the guitar and get over there and start and start playing. Why? Because I have no idea how to play that guitar. Do you get what I'm getting at? learning to stay in your own lane, learning what you know and what you don't know is a vitally important piece. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs talks about foolishness and wisdom and a lot of what they're speaking of in that whole avenue is saying basically, ask for wisdom, which means recognize that you don't know what you don't know yet. And here's Peter, who had wisdom just poured out in a profound and prophetic way. Peter, you will scatter. It's been prophesied from before you were born that that was going to happen. And Peter's like, no. And then he's like, Peter, hear me, dude. Tonight, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And what's he say? No. Oh, come on, Peter. You guys recognize that you don't know everything recognize that without humility, you're never going to really be able to walk in the full strength of God. The strength of God is found in humility. And you guys, this goes against the whole concept of the world, doesn't it? Right now the world is saying like, speak strength into the world. Speak strength into the universe and you'll get it back. I don't know why I lisp whenever I'm comparing myself to the world. Sorry. (laughs) I shouldn't do that. It's just my thing. My bad. But they they say these things that just are, kind of sound ridiculous on their face, but people actually believe it. And the reality is, is guess what? People believe it so much that now even a lot of churches are doing the same thing. You guys ever hear a positive confession? Oh, Lord Jesus, I want that Lamborghini, and I know it's going to be out in my driveway in the morning, Lord. Yes, praise you, Jesus. That's how everybody that talks is, talks like that. But you guys, the reality is, is that's just ridiculous on its face. It's trying to twist God's arm to get something. Mm. I don't believe that if you speak good into the world that your karma will be better. At the same time, I think our words have power. Mm. And I think words spoken to God have the most power yeah. because words spoken to God are, only, are giving it to the one and only like, thing in this entire world, the one and only creator God that can actually do something about anything in this world. I think that's where we should spend our time speaking. Words, But the reality is, you guys, is that I believe that like, yeah, we can say all we want like Peter did. I'm going to die with you. I'm going to do this. And you're doing that in your own strength. And how far are you going to get? Not very far. Mm -hmm. But if you're willing to humble yourself and be like, Jesus, I wish, I don't want that to be true. I don't want that at all to be true. There's times when I'm up here in worship and the Lord's just throws something my direction and shows me something about myself and it's disgusting to me. And I'm like, oh God, you're right. Why did I, I... because I'm here justifying myself and feeling good about myself. You guys ever find yourself there? And then God's like, no, you're not as cool as you think you are. You're just a rotten sinner, right? And it's in those moments that then I get the strength of God and I get the peace of God as I just submit to it and say, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. It would have been good for Peter to do that. But here, I'm gonna give you some positive words. Here's the truth. We all stink and Jesus rocks. That's the truth. And we need his perfection and we need him to come and clean our house out daily, every day. And so far in my life, he still has continued to find little dirty corners that he can clean out, right? And I think there's rooms yet in my own heart that I don't even know about yet that he's like, well, let's open this thing up. All right. Lots of mess in there to clean out. You guys, I'm positive of these things. I'm positive that I'm a simple and screwed up man. And I'm positive also that you guys are simple and screwed up people. You feel encouraged? <laughs> I'm the most positive of this, that Christ went to that cross and died for us and rose again so that we can just give it all to him and say, here, here it is, God, you take my junk and give me eternal life in exchange. That's the thing I'm the most positive about. That's the thing that I want to hold on to. That's the thing that makes me not want to be like Peter in this moment and telling Jesus what's up. And instead I want Jesus to tell me what's up. And I want to say, okay, let's go. Verse 36 Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. So Jesus, you guys, he brought him to the Garden of Gethsemane and Gethsemane, like I said a little bit earlier, is in the Mount of Olives. It's at the base of the Mount of Olives. You guys, we are going to Israel next year. It's another trip that you guys can be in prayer about. I am hoping that we get to send a whole crew over there. Um, I'm excited to go and see it. Uh, I'm excited to see Gethsemane and all of that. But listen, I need us to understand something. This was a favorite place for Jesus to go. Jesus went there a lot. And so I need us to hear something. First off, Gethsemane itself means this, the place of pressing or the place of crushing. Why does it mean that? Well, it's on the Mount of Olives. And so this is a place where they brought all the olives and squished out all the oil. It's where they got the olive oil. And so this was that place. It was like a garden grove. And so he left So he left eight of the disciples behind and he's like, you sit here at the edge of the garden. I'm gonna go a little further in. And then he grabs his inner circle, right? Peter, James, and John, and they go in and they're in there a little bit further in. And he says to him, that's where he pours out his heart. He's like, man, I am really in a bad place right now. I am exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And so isn't it kind of fitting that he goes to Gethsemane, this place of crushing and pressing to work out this whole crushing and pressing. The name of the message today is the battle part one, because I think that the battle is happening for all of us, for all of humanity right here, right now. I don't think the battle happened on the cross. I think it was already done then. I think the battle's now. I think what we're gonna see next week as we continue to look at this is that the battle was still happening and being waged in the disciples' hearts. And there was a battle that's happening. And guys, we're still in the battle in a way. and In another way, we're walking in the victory of Christ already too. So it's kind of a weird place to be. But for them in this moment, that victory hadn't been completely won yet. It hasn't shown itself physically yet. And so here they are, and Jesus is in the Mount of Olives in this place of crushing, and he's there to crush his own will. He's there to say to God, I'm your ride or die. I'm the one that's gonna, I, I'm, I want your will to be done in my life, Period. And so he tells him, can you just stay with me? And I need us to understand something. The fact is, when he was there and he says that his soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death in the English, we're not able to really get a hold of that picture entirely. The Greek here, it speaks, this word itself literally speaks of a sorrow, a depth of just despair, so to speak. Not despair, it's not a good choice of words, but sorrowness to the point that you could literally in any moment have a heart attack and die. That's the sorrow that he was in. That's the depth of that Greek word that in the English, and that happens a lot in the Greek where it's like one Greek word and it takes a sentence and a half to explain. And even then you're like, you're not really getting at it. But that's what it means He was so sorrowful that at any given moment, he could have just had a heart attack. In the human flesh, that's kind of what that word means in Greek. You guys, I've never been that sorrowful. I've been pretty darn sorrowful. I'm sure a lot of us have. I've never been sorrowful to the point that I could have just had a heart attack from it. And we know, you guys, that this is a violent and shocking amount of sorrow. We know that the sorrow that he had was just The depth of it, we can barely get our head around, but do you know what else we've never done? We're told in the gospel of Luke, remember that he sweat drops of blood. And that's actually a medical condition called hematidrosis, which is something that happens when all of the capillaries around all of your sweat glands pop. They just burst. Why? Because your stress level is so overwhelmingly magnified that you are just breaking blood vessels in your brain and in your body and all around. You're just that stressed out. So church, I've never been that stressed out. Have you? I don't think we can really get our head around it. And I know this, I've experienced some stress in my life and I'm sure you have too. Imagine that times a million, times whatever number, I have no idea. But he was so stressed out that all the capillaries were popping everywhere. And so when he sweat, he was sweating out blood in his sweat. You guys, it helps us understand the feelings that Jesus had this moment. Feelings that I don't even know that we can really, truly get our head around. So he goes away and he prays. And he says, Stay here and watch with me. And I want us to look at what he asks God in verse 39. He says, Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Listen, I don't think God was saying, I don't think Jesus was saying to his father like, hey, man, I don't really wanna do this whole cross thing. Like there's gonna be a lot of pain there and I don't like it. I mean, maybe he felt that a little bit, but do you know, I don't think that was the point. I don't think that was the cup that he was talking about. Do you know the cup I think he was talking about? All of our sins, past, present, and future being poured out on his human body as a sacrifice. That's what I think the cup was. And I need us to understand something. What happened? Do we know? You guys remember what happened whenever that happened? When that cup was poured out, it says God turned his face, right? We don't hear Jesus complain about anything. Not through any of the scourging do we read anywhere that Jesus is like, ay, uh, stop, that hurts. Nowhere do we read that. Nowhere do we read whenever he was getting his hands or his wrists nailed to the cross and his feet nailed to the cross. We don't read anywhere him being like, stop it. This is killing me at heart. Stop. Nowhere do we read that. What do we read? We read that he kept saying, God, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing right now. We read him just pouring out mercy and grace, even on these people that were doing these most heinous and horrible things to him. Do you know the only time we see Jesus, quote unquote, if I were going to say it this way, complain? When he said to God the Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? That's the one time we see him say anything that's like, oh, come on, I can't do this. It's whenever God's like, I have poured everything out onto my son, the one that I love dearly. My, uh, me! And I poured it out. I poured everything out. All of my garbage and all of your garbage and all of the garbage of the entire world, every Jew that was killed in the Holocaust, everything was poured out on him. All of it. And we don't even know what's left. How many aborted fetuses got poured out on him? How many bad, horrible, horrific rapes and murders and all the garbage, everything poured out on him all in one moment. And I think that's what he was there saying. God, if there's another way, I don't want to do this. And yet, and this is the thing. He wasn't afraid of death. He knew he was coming back. And I don't think he was afraid of this, but I think he was just really being raw before the father and saying, this is going to be hard. This isn't going to be an easy task. If there's another way, can you, can you show me? But what he said at the end this most profound statement where Peter was just blowing smoke and being a big blowhard and saying things that he didn't obviously mean because he didn't walk it out. Jesus steeled his heart and said, not my will be done, but yours. Not what I want. Because in the flesh, I don't want this. But I want your will to be done in my life. You guys, what would it look like if Christians actually looked at God's will and said, I want your will to be done in my life. And we can't do it perfectly like Jesus did, but what would it look like if we just did it a little bit more than we do now? I was having a talk with a brother this weekend and we were talking about the fact that God's will sometimes is hard to find, right? Like we're like, man, well, Lord, what's, what's, what's your will for my life? And how do you know these things? And we were talking about the fact that like, yeah, there's been times in my life whenever I've mauled over and chewed over, God, what's your will for my life? And I'm so thankful for those times that he's made it abundantly clear. When we first got out of the military and I was medically discharged, I'm there and I'm like, God, what do you have for me? And I've, you've given me this call to be a pastor, but I don't even know what that means. And is it here in Idaho or what does that look like? And it, I'm so thankful that God made it clear Hey, you're going to New Hampshire. And I had to look it up on a map. And then I put out my little fleece and I said, God, I'm not telling my wife that. You have to tell her. And he did. He did. And so she came to me. I was like, we're supposed to go to New Hampshire. I'm thankful for when God says, here's my will, do it. And we sold our awesome house and I lost my hot tub. <laughs> but I'm so thankful I'm here with you guys right now. It's a blessing to walk out God's will, isn't it? But the reality is, you guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge us a bit. And I, I said this this weekend to my brother, I said, look, there's plenty of God's will that we do know. It's our mission statement. Go, tell, live. Do you know what that means? Go out into all the world, tell people about Jesus, and live a life that shines Christ to others. The Great Commission. That's his will for all every Christian. How often do we do that? How often do we step out in faith when the Holy Spirit's asking us to? I want to challenge us, you guys, not to speak big empty words, but to walk in the strength of God and start walking out the will that you do know that he has for you. And that's one of them. Go, tell, live. Do that. I think if we did that, you guys, as an American church, I think America would start looking a lot different. I think it's a possibility. I think it's a challenge for all of us. To not be like Peter and the disciples and just speak empty words, but actually to say like Jesus, God, your will be done in my life. And God, I need your strength to do all of it because I can't do any of it. Not on my own. All I can do is be obedient and step out and trust that you're going to do something. How much stronger and more full of power of the Holy Spirit would the modern day church be if we did what God said, and said, man, Lord, your will be done in my life, Mm -hmm. outside of my comfort zone, outside of what I think, outside of my nice comfy chair, outside of my stuff, outside of all the garbage that we in America love to just pour onto before God. Mm -hmm. And guess what that used to be called? Idolatry. And we all do it, don't we? Mm -hmm. Man, what would it look like if the church really got serious about that? I think it would look different. Verse 40, finishing up. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Do you hear the difference? Do you hear the resolve in his heart? And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You guys, Peter had just said, I'm going to die with you, Jesus. And then less than an hour later, he can't even stay awake. And I want us to notice something. Jesus didn't ask his disciples, his three disciples, to go pray for him all the time. Do you notice that? He wanted them to pray for themselves, that they wouldn't fall into temptation, that they wouldn't just, you know, be completely decimated by these things that are going to happen. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Peter and the others were struggling to put their big words into actual action. And I think it sounds far too familiar. You guys, as Christians, we can stay up all night and talk to each other about our problems, can't we? As Christians, we can kind of just get together and mull over an issue for hours. I'm good at that. Staying up until one in the morning because I can't shut my brain off because I can't stop thinking about it. What if we just stopped all that and took it all to God in prayer? And even when we do that, even when, man, the Lord's like, hey, talk to me. Man, you start talking to him and what happens right away? Suddenly, where you couldn't go to sleep at all, now you're wiped out tired and you're wanting to fall asleep in two seconds, aren't you? Isn't that how it goes? Can I say something? I think that that is literally a clear sign that Satan is against you communicating with God. Because, man, I can talk for hours to people. I can sit out around a fire and have a conversation forever. Right? Like I can do that. My body will just go, 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 go. ADHD. It's a heck of a thing. I love it. But the reality is, is that sometimes we'll close our eyes to start praying around a campfire and man, 10 minutes in, I'm not even the one praying, you know, because I like to, you know, well, I don't know. I guess the pastor thing, you always end up kind of going last, but like, or you start, but you're there and I'm waiting and people start praying. And then I'm like, what do he say? What's going on? I start drifting off, man. I'm like, what the heck? And I think it's just a clear sign that the enemy is against our conversation with God. And I think that's a clear sign that we need to do it more often, right? The only one that can do anything about anything in this whole world is God. Why would you not talk to him first? And I'm talking to me. So just as Jesus was encouraging the disciples to wake up and seek God, I think every one of us need to hear this. Wake up and seek God. Stop being this way and so when he comes back this third time he's just like okay they're, they're, they're tired it's okay and he goes back and he prays a third time and then he comes back and he's like yo wake up it's coming down right now it's, it's happening if you want to know the rest of the story you got to come back for the next exciting installment you guys I don't know let's just let's pray Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.